Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Are you ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write... We talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly. This is the podcast where we talk about the writing craft and crafting a writer's life. And today we are talking with novelist Angela Sanders and she writes cozy mysteries and she writes a series. And I don't think we've gotten too far down that rabbit hole yet. So Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, happy to have you. And and you're across the neighborhood from me. You said you're an Oregon writer now, but you grew up in Northern California reading Nancy Drew. So we might have to have a little Nancy Drew conversation because <laughs> she started it all for me. Mm-hmm. Lived in Paris. You were a congressional investigator. You've done all kinds of things. You said your investigations kind of intrigued you and, and drew you into the stories that you were really investigating. Is that an apt way of saying that? I think you got it. Basically, what it taught me in talking to people about policy and government programs is that they were a lot less interesting to me than the people themselves. Mm. And once I start, I would go into an office and talk to someone about a policy, but be mesmerized by the photos on their desk. You know, why is your wife wearing that hat? And <laughs> is that your lunch bag over there? How come everything in this office is, is stacked from the waist down? And at some point I realized I'm a writer. That's what writers do. They notice stuff. I I love that. And I was just going to say that. I mean, that sounds like a writer. We we use the form to follow our curiosity or ask inappropriate questions or do research about stuff that, that other people don't even think about. I always say that you can tell a writer because if, if a writer gets on a bus, no matter how short the ride, when the writer gets off, everybody else is complaining about the odor or how hot it was or whatever. And the writer has a story. Yeah. I want to get into how you came to writing after all these other career adventures and so forth, but we start every show with the dailies. How do you start your writing day? I get, as soon as I get up and I try to get up early for a while, I, I'm a morning writer. So for a while I got a coffee pot that had an automatic timer on it. So that when I heard it beep, I knew my coffee was made and I better get out of bed and start writing. But the coffee wasn't so good. So I ditched that. That might be a good hack for some of the listeners, but not so much for me. So I get up first thing, 
and sit down with my cup of coffee and start writing. And my brain knows that I'm ready to do that. My body knows that I'm ready to do that. And I can usually put in a good two to three hours first thing in the morning. Wow. What's first thing? Five o'clock, eight o'clock? What's it look like for you? Um, well, okay. So theoretically, it's about six o'clock. Mm -hmm. In real life, it might be 6.30 or 7. It kind of depends. <laughs> and is that time just geared to go to the page on your revisions or a creation of new material? You're not sending emails, you're not marketing, you're not doing that other writer stuff? No, I mean, I'll usually check my emails to make sure there's nothing from the East Coast where my publisher is that I need to, to take care of. And then I just plunge right in. If I'm feeling super sluggish, like I'm just having a hard time getting myself going, the night before I will, I write in Scrivener. I'll open up my Scrivener file so that as soon as I turn on the computer, boom, that's what I see is the story. And then if I'm, and that's if I'm first drafting or maybe second drafting. And after, at that, after that point, I usually print out a draft and then I will take it. I have two particular editing seating areas. <laughs> and so I take my coffee and, and my manuscript and sit down in one of those areas. And then my brain knows you're here to edit lady. That's kind of what my day is looking like today. After I finish our, our visit, I'm going to uh, take my laptop into another section. I work in a, in a home office and that's where I do my writing and my interviews, my marketing stuff. And then I'll take my laptop out and I'm going to revise another chapter. And there's something about being in that different space with the sun coming in a different way that tells my brain, okay, now we're going to transition into this phase. It is true. I coach some writers and that's what I will tell them too. If you're having a hard time, go somewhere else. If take, take your manuscript outside, you know, or try mm -hmm. writing it or go to a cafe. You know, but just go somewhere else and your brain knows, okay, we're not doing the same old thing. All right, Angela, I want to get into this because your backstory is fascinating. You've been all over the world. You're, you're doing all these things and, and you're coming home with these great stories. What's the difference between you, a writer, and someone who just has these great adventures and never puts them into a cozy mystery book or a nonfiction article or the other things? What do you think drew the line for you? You know, I think that I, I, I suppose a psychiatrist might have some really <laughs> some deep explanations, but I think my way in the world, how I survived, how I found my way to be happy was to tell stories, was to see the stories in everything. And, you know, like writing cozy mysteries isn't gonna change the world. But if I can communicate somehow that the world is a fascinating place, and everybody has stories, then I think I will su have succeeded. People will always tell me, what well, the most interesting things have happened to you? And like, no, the most interesting things happened to you too. I know, I know like any of the people listening here, I could pluck them out and plop them in a, a chair and write a fascinating article about them. It's just that they may not see the story. So that's just been my lens for life, I think, storytelling. I write um, nonfiction too. I'm, I'm working on a, fic a novel right now, but I write nonfiction and there tend to be personal development topics and psychology. And one thing that science shows and that I have learned in my career is that the difference between people that live with joy and people who don't or any issue is the people who are happy, they notice the things that make them happy, right? They have the same amount of stress and grief in their life as everybody else, but they tend to notice the things that are working. And, and mm -hmm. it's kind of what you just said. I, I used to write profiles and 
all the time. And I could go out, I could just pick a random house and find the most interesting person. And the way they tell their story was fascinating. It's you are noticing those stories. You're noticing when you're landing in a weird setting or an interesting setting, or you're noticing the person who has a story to tell, and you're able to tap into that somehow in your writing. And it's a high. I've written a number of magazine articles too, and my very favorites were the profiles, just mm -hmm. as you're saying. And the editor might say, you know, oh, we need a story about these brothers who grow potatoes. And that's all I know. You know, I can dig around a little bit on the internet, but whatever there is about their farm and they grow potatoes. But I know that there's going to be a great story. And I can almost like feel the excitement building in me as I, you know, get to where I'm going to meet this person. And then I'm on like my, I'm not saying that I'm on, like I'm putting on a show, but all of my senses are open. It's like, what is the story? The story is coming in and it's a good feeling. You write a number of fictional series and cozy mysteries. Is it the same skill for that? Do you need to be tuned into your senses and, and paying attention to those real world details to create this fictional life? I think so, because I, I always remember this quote by Neil Gaiman, where he said that his imagination is like a compost pile. Mm. So you, and then whatever springs up, I mean, you, you put old bananas and coffee grounds and stuff in it, <laughs> but you know, a tomato might come out of it from a seed for something else. <laughs> and I think that it's sort of like that you go through life noticing people, meeting people, and it all filters through the storyteller's brain and it sits in that compost pile. And then as you have hands on the keyboard, the boys in the basement, as Stephen King would call them, have been rooting through that compost pile and it all starts to come together. How does story show up for you? Do you know when you see something, oh, I'm going to write about this? Or do you have these unique experiences or notice these things we're talking about and, and it just kind of hangs with you and you come back to it years later? How does it work? Well, when I am, so right now I have a contract with Kensington Publishing and before I write a book, so I've been contracted for, I, I'm through six books right now, Wow! but before I can write the next book, I need to write a synopsis and have that approved. So I can't just go in, you know, pure pantsing it. That doesn't work. So usually what I do is start with a premise. I mean, of course, the world of the series I'm working on right now is, is already there, but I'll start with an idea or a premise, maybe a fascinating character, but usually an idea. And then I, um, I have a big whiteboard and sometimes I'll use that or I'll use my special thinking pad, which is a notebook. It's, it's, it's a grid lined and it's big. I don't, for some reason, like having that expansiveness is really helpful to me. And then I write a big cross in it. So I've divided it into four sections and I just start brainstorming act one, act two and act three, which is really two A and two B and then the final act, act four. And I sort of go with that loose structure with the idea that, you know, I want an inciting incident. I want a transition where the sleuth agrees that she's gonna pursue this mystery and then I want one course of action and midpoint turnaround, something unexpected a worsening course of action where the character, everything goes wrong and then a big climax. So that's sort of a, a I take that really sort of broad approach. And then um, I like to keep, I always have a stack of index cards nearby and I have a silver bowl that I got at the, um, at Goodwill that was, let me have a look at it here, that is inscribed to um, Evangeline Bruce, who was woman of the year in 1958. 
Wow. So I, I take, <laughs> I take this, this is my inspiration. So as I'm walking through, so now my brain kind of knows I've got this very loose framework for a story and I might notice something like, oh, somebody who talks, but they, they're, they don't move their lips or somebody mm. whose arms are really long and they almost look like a monkey or whatever. And then I just jot things down and, oh, I need a scene that is like this, jot them down on index cards and toss them in the Evangeline Bruce bowl. And then start sorting them <laughs> by act. I, I think I need an Evangeline Bruce Ball too. <laughs> I recommend it. And poor Evangeline. I mean, 1958, she had it all going on. And then it oh, ends she... up in Goodwill. But... Uh, well, so I did a bunch of research on Evangeline because then I was tantalized. Of course. Her house was in, she had a house in Laurelhurst that was, it's a neighborhood, both you and I know here in Portland, um, kind of a fancy neighborhood now that was that her house is featured in better homes and gardens and wow. you know, she was a spinster until the day she died and um, interesting of course you would chase that down I mean that sounds like a writer right there sounds like a mystery writer I want to talk to you about what it's like to write uh, several series and cozy mysteries we're going to take a quick break with Angela Sanders and we'll be right back on simply write with Polly right after this on the Creators Network of Electricast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back. You're listening to Simply Write with Polly. And I've got the novelist, nonfiction writer, and the author of multiple cozy mysteries and series, Angela Sanders here. Welcome back, Angela. Thank you. I wanted to jump in because my question that keeps coming up in my head is why cozy mysteries? I mean, you have lots of material. We've been talking about how you, you your writer's, writer's angle on the world. Why go the cozy route? Why not a thriller? Why not a romance or something else? Mm -hmm. That was a good question. And it's something I ask myself a lot too. <laughs> One thing is when you get started running down a path, then you sort of become known in the publishing world for doing a certain type of book. So it's good to just as a as pro tip to the writers out there who maybe are not quite published or early in their publishing careers, make sure that you're on a track that you want to be on. Fortunately for me, Cozy Mysteries works out okay. I find my personal motto in life and someday i'll design a coat of arms for it is that life is a glorious freak show <laughs> and i mean that like i say that with love i just think it's just life is hilarious and wonderful so to me life is also full of humor and it's hard to write something that is seriously literary when people crack you up but cozy mysteries are totally open to the humor and so it's for me that is a great palette to put humor in life the other thing is that i'm a little bit too shy to write sex scenes so cozy mistress fine we don't, they don't want any sex scenes and you know my language is well let's not talk about my language but i can write clean <laughs> i can so. write clean yeah me too I, I read a lot of mysteries a lot of thrillers i love all of the the subgenres of of those 
But one thing I really have picked out, and I, I see it in your books, because I started checking you out, you know, when I knew you were going to come on the show. Um, there is a lot of humor, and it's really smart. It's really dry in some cases. It's really smart. You don't have to get it to enjoy the book, but if you do, it's just an extra edge. Like, I felt kind of smart when I got some of those inside jokes. Oh. Thank you. I, you know, I was worried I was, I'm, I'm airing a little too screwball, but I, <laughs> I love, well, maybe, maybe I think life's a freak show too. So maybe we're <laughs> peas in a pod. I don't, it's a I don't know. Freak show. Yeah. I don't want to think like I'm looking down on anybody. It's I'm yeah. right there on the line of freaks. I'm standing in front, in front of the line. Me too. And I think it's important, especially in, in this profession, but I think in the world right now, in particular, to notice the absurdities and recognize our humanity and the crazy ass stuff we do and the, the situations we get ourselves into and the fun we have. I, I think um, we, there are serious things going on in the world, but the guy behind the scenes who is working to change them is pretty hilarious. And, and, has his quirks and traits too that make it all interesting i think it's, it's important it's to humor, notice humor and pathos and everything i mean i just think like a, a story that illustrates it i one of my friends or her mother died a few years ago and she was in the hospital i mean that's a sad sad situation and the you know somebody who was working there said well would you like a special blanket we sew these special blankets for you know, people who have died, put over and she said, yes. And he asked what her fa what her mother's favorite color was. Her mother was well in her nineties. And she said it was light blue. So she, they laid a light blue blanket over her mother and it had soccer balls on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's sad and it's funny and it's touching. And that's what life is like. Yeah. That's why I, I wasn't very, when I was taking myself much more seriously, I think age has helped me too, because you get kicked around enough. It's like, what's the point? Just relax. Enjoy this a little more. But I was heading out to my first book reading for my first book and it was a big deal. And I mean, this is a career dream and now I'm going to go to this reading and there's going to be huge crowds and all of this. And I'm walking out in my best clothes and I'm leaving. I'm kissing my little girl goodbye. And the cat throws up all over me, all over my shoe. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's just a reminder how this can go. It was still a great night, even though I had cat throw up on my shoe. But right. Yeah, I know. I had <laughs> you can laugh or you can cry. It's up to you. Absolutely. Tell me about the cozies. What makes a mystery, a cozy. What do you what do you look for? What has to be in your books? I think that it, there needs to be a community that is. I think cozy readers pick up a, a cozy because yes, they want a mystery, but they also want a world that feels like they know the people. They're they're it's hilarious. They're nurtured. There's quirky people. Just that there's a family that they return to. There's a comfortable world to go into. I think that's a big part of a cozy mystery. So for that reason, lots of people like I've chosen, I made up this, this fake town, Wilfred in Oregon, where my series I'm working on now is set. But lots of people will have a small town or a neighborhood in a bigger city. So that's just so that there's, or a, a business like a restaurant where there is a closed community. And for me, that's a huge part of what a cozy is about. And then also there's the idea that it's going to be a welcoming place. It's not going to be a place where, yeah, of course, you're going to worry about your heroine when the villain is chasing her or, 
you know, hopefully you'll be on the edge of your seat at least a few times, but you know that you're not going to see any animals hurt. You're probably not going to see any children hurt. You know, it's going to be a, a, a safe and happy experience. Now, are you dropping clues in the book so that your readers can solve the mystery with your heroine? Well, yes, I am. Uh, of course yeah, you are. Got to have clues. You got to have red herrings. You got to have a few plot twists. I mean, putting together a mystery in some ways, it's like doing algebra. I think they can be the hardest so book to write. So complex. And the a cozy mystery, people expect it to be an easy read. They expect to pick it up, to drink it down like a delicious, you know, beverage and not have to stop and, and you know, where am I again? And as you know, to write something so that it is an easy, enjoyable read can be one of the hardest things to do. And then when you layer on that, that you need to construct a mystery that is put together in a fair way that is surprising and yet inevitable, it's not super easy. When you write for this book, you mentioned you're writing a synopsis. Was that how it went with your first book too? Or did you write the full manuscript and then sell it and then get a contract from those books? Well, since I had written books before, the publisher was willing to take me uh, with a proposal. And so in this case, a proposal was the first three chapters of the book, a synopsis of the first book, ideas for two additional books, a description of the setting and the characters, a background about me and a description of comps hmm. all sort of put together into a package. Okay. And now you, are you doing one book a year or you said no, you a book every nine months? Wow. Is that, um, ambitious? Is that about your, your tone, your style, your space? It's, it's a super comfortable pace. I, I think I could do every six months if I needed to do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a comfortable pace. I mean, right now I know the world I'm writing in. I know the characters. I'm thinking ahead a little bit, even as I write, which I think is super important when you're doing a series too, to make sure that your world is big enough and there are enough characters and opportunities to keep killing people and keep having suspects <laughs> and keep having places where exciting things can happen. I like that you know the world, you know some of the characters who are back each time. I mean, some of the work is done for you in the series work, but are there other challenges? Because you're talking about you need to keep the world expanding, new people coming in. How do you manage that? How do you not get bored with the writing and how do you keep it fresh if people are just coming for the first time? Well, one of the things is that there are um, yeah, it is hard to keep things fresh. And that's so for for listeners who are starting a series, think about that. Make sure there's potential. Make sure that there are buildings where scary things can happen, where there are, you know, natural features, you know, lakes or deserts or mountains where things can happen and where there's the opportunity for new people to be coming in and out of town. Um, so it, it, it does get challenging. I mean, I, there's just... At a certain point, cozy mysteries can become a joke, but that can be good. You can work with that because, of course, you know, there's the old Cabot Cove syndrome. You know, we go to Cabot Cove and you're either end up in jail or in the grave. Um, but you can play with those. The latest book that I have coming out, which is Witch Upon a Star. I had to actually check the title because I've turned in the book after mm. that already. Um, Witch Upon a Star there are some noises in the basement. Um, the heroine does not like going into the basement. You're all set up for the trope of the scary thing in the basement. And, and the reader will be expecting, uh, I've planned it, so the reader will be expecting that there's going to be something bad that is going to happen in the basement. But 
there's all the even though the reader may be expecting it, it doesn't mean it's really going to happen. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, mm. but you can play with those tropes. You can twist them around or you can be really, you can just come right out and say, you know, how many people live in this town? And then what's our murder rate? I mean, you can just be right there out about it too. And the reader gets the joke. That's awesome. I, I think uh, you you have to be thinking about this world uh, if you're if you're getting out six a book every six to nine months, you must be thinking about this world all the time. The different things you can add in, or or the things you've outgrown, or whatever. That's interesting. And the characters who have something in their past. How did that character lose his finger? You know, maybe that comes up in a future book. I don't know mm -hmm. how yet. Or, but you know, you just those things cook in your head. Do you get tired of the characters? No, not yet. I like yeah. my characters. I mean, I swear that. He, so the my main character is Josie Way, Josephine Way. She and her two sisters are named after French queens. If she came in, I gave her my hair, so I'd recognize her for the hair. But if she came in, I'm not sure I would know her because I sort of have, have written her as an every woman, as sort of the Jerry Seinfeld where things happen to her. But so if she came in, I'm not sure I would recognize her. But anybody else in that book, if they walk through the door behind me, I would know them. Hmm, that's fine. Can can we talk finances a minute? Um, I've heard that for writers who establish themselves in the cozy mystery genre, that it can be a, a very successful, stable career for a writer. Is that something you've experienced? Is, does it take a large volume of work to get out? Or is this a, a, a genre aspiring writers could enter and maybe have some success? Well, you know, I think that if you are able, okay, if you are able to live in a box under a bridge, then it, it can be a financially stable viable. <laughs> but there's two things to look at when you're living life as a writer. One is how much money you make, and the other is how much you spend. And I've learned to live a good life for not much money. That is, I think, a skill that many writers should have. You know, so yeah, if you like fancy vacations and new cars, you know, you can do almost anything to make more money. You can be a poodle groomer probably and do better. But I, so I'll, you know, just be upfront for people who are listening. So I earn what is pretty standard for a larger publisher, which is about $5,000 a book as an advance. So I, you know, for instance, for each, for my first contract and the second one, I was contracted for three books at $5,000 each. So it's $15,000. You get a third of that upfront minus whatever your agent makes. And then um, the remaining two thirds is divided into three. And I get you know, each of that third of the two thirds each time I turn in a manuscript and it's approved. So it's not a time. And then once the, of course, once the advance earns out, then you get money for audio rights and royalties. It's not a ton of money. So I supplement that by, I have little odd jobs here and there. I do some caregiving for a woman with cerebral palsy off and on, and I coach other writers and I do other writing jobs too. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's super important. And I am I do the same. You know, I have managed to structure my lifestyle in a way uh, that I really feel like I'm living a great life. I mean, I love it. I, I feel like we have uh, enough and um, and all of my needs are met. But I, I'm also doing a lot of different things so that I can continue to do the writing. So the, mm -hmm. some people will look at this life and say, oh, she's made so many sacrifices. Well, I have the freedom to create these stories and to do the work that I love. And if I'm going to be working, you know, six or eight or 12 hours a day, depending on, on the project, 
Um, I'm glad I love it. I'm glad I get to sit down and do it. I agree with that so much. I mean, I have a 23 year old Corolla, but it runs great. It's comfortable. It's got features like a radio. And I think it even has air conditioning. I'm kind of scared to use it in case something goes wrong with it. But it's, I would, I would rather keep that car and live the life I'm living than buy myself a Tesla and have to go into a cubicle, you know, for 40 plus hours a week. I'd much rather have the life I live now. I am right there with you. I totally agree. And I think it's an important discussion on on two levels. First of all, there are lots of ways to make money in writing to support yourself. You can publish books, you can write articles, you can coach and teach, you can write content marketing. Content marketing writers tend to make a, a good income with regular clients. So it is possible, but I don't know even the most successful writers who do any one thing, right? They're doing a lot of things and tagging them together. And part of that is because writers are made from that stuff. They have all these curiosities they want to follow. But part of it is because often for me and just what we're talking about, for me to do the kind of writing that I want to do, I'm doing a few other things on the side so that I can do that one thing. Now, it wasn't always like this in my career. It's been 25 years. I did newspaper work almost exclusively in the beginning. I've done a lot of corporate writing. Now, at this point, I'm I'm doing different things. But I'll tell you, I, I'm the same with the cars. We, <laughs> we had to get a car a couple of years ago because my 25-year-old car, the only car I ever had, um, was finished. So we went and we decided to get a... a a new used car so we could count on it for the next 30 years and the the broker was like okay i'm gonna take your husband in we're gonna sign the paperwork why don't you bring the car around i was like literally sitting in the car like i don't i think he forgot to give me the key and my daughter's like no push the button like they start with a button now i didn't even know I know it's pretty wild. <laughs> you know, one thing I want to point out too for listeners, I, I know a new car, I have no idea. I, I it all just makes me nervous. Um, <laughs> but another thing I want to point out is that there are a lot, if not most, writers who publish and have a full time job, and that's very possible. Think about the time, and people say I don't have enough time. You do if you want it badly enough, and you can write an astonishing amount in an hour a day. The other thing that I would like to say that a lot of people don't think about is you can also cut back the hours at your job or get a part-time job. So you don't have to completely give up. It's not that you have a full-time job in an office or you have zero work and you're you know, praying that you're not going to get kicked out of your apartment. It's There are ways to go the middle route. And for a while, I just reduced my hours at work. I was working as a grant writer for a nonprofit. As I started writing more and getting more income, I just cut back the hours that I had at work and they were flexible about it. And you might be surprised if you talk to your boss about that. I think that's a really important point. You have to go after it. And before you do, decide what you want. It might not be for you. You might want to do the journaling or you might want to write stories for your family or yourself. And yes. that is fine. That yes. There's no judgment here. But if you want to write and draw income from it, which in, the way I think about that, I want to write to publish. And then there's some income that comes away, a, a, a part of that, right? Then you're going to have to be willing to look at things with that same creative spirit to structure your income level that you need, the way you want to live in support of the writing and in support of your lifestyle. It can't be one or the other, I don't think, but there's lots of ways 
to tape it together also. There absolutely are. And I also want to go back to that point you brought up and think about why you're writing. Some people are writing because they just liked, it's like, you know, some people play the guitar because it's just fun to sit and strum on the guitar and sing in their living room. And that is great. People, right. have, writing has so much baggage. People think, well, if you're writing, have I read anything that you've written? Are you published? It's like, you can write and not be on a bestseller list and find it a super fulfilling and wonderful way to spend your time. So think about why you want to write. Is it for yourself? Is it for other people? Do you want to be famous? You know, if that's what you want, well, there's also better ways to be famous. I mean, take off your clothes and run across the bridge. That's, <laughs> that's the way to get famous. But, you know, think about why you want to write and be honest with yourself about it. And I think that's also a really important and effective way to get where you want to get. The reason why I write is because it gives me an excuse to buy office supplies, pens and paper. Now, it's a little more than that. This brings us to my favorite segment of the show. It's what's in the desk. Angela, is there anything you have to have around you when you write be besides Evangeline's ball? What do you have in your desk when you're writing? Well, okay. My computer, of course, is number one. And I have a Mac desktop that I had a laptop on a special stand, but Zoom totally fried it. It was getting on like 11 or 12 years old at the beginning. I mean, I would put frozen peas under it to try to keep it cool down. <laughs> but then I had to break down and get a new computer. And then I have my satellite laptop that I can take different places. Mm. And I justify that luxury of having two computers. And I'm a writer. They're tools for writing. So I have to have that. I have a stand by my computer that I have. I keep a paper calendar. So my calendar is open. I can see what's coming up. And it has the days on one side of it. And then on the other side is a blank piece of paper. So sometimes I have notes of what I have to do or deadlines. So I keep that right there. It's on a really ugly plastic um, sort of text holder. So if anybody knows where I can get a nice metal one or a vintage one, please let me know. So that's pretty important. I also need to have some space on my desk for a cat or two to look out the window. That's important. And then a pitcher and some water or something to put my coffee cup on. That's important too. And then the rest of the stuff, I have little notebooks. I have my backup drive. I have an index card with sort of the next chunks of, I'm a list maker. I don't know. Oh, me too. I just love, it makes me feel like I'm, if I put it on a list, I don't need to worry about it. I just, well, and I like to write it by hand. Do you do all that by hand? Oh yeah. Oh it's yeah. Crafted. That's what I call it. Mm. It's crafted by hand. Yeah. <laughs> the people who keep the stuff on the, I mean, I admire you if you can keep your list on a phone, but I need to touch it. I need to have that in my hand. And then, you know, I have little things like I have a little dish from the Ritz hotel and I didn't steal it from the Red I was just going to ask that because I have a tiny little ceramic tray from the 1890s with my pens on it and just some odd stuff like that. My, my computer glasses. When you sit down to write, it sounds like you can reach what you need to keep going. Oh yeah. And that's a, that also the benefit, you know, I told you about how important it is to be able to have expenditures that are lower if you're going to be a writer with a lot of money. So I have a really small house and with a really small house, you have a small office and that means pretty much that you can sit wherever you want and grab whatever you need. I do want to know before we move on, if being writing cozy mysteries requires you to have a cat, do you think that's part of being an I, author? I, I believe that's in my contract. Have you had to have a cat or a small terrier? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a cat and a small terrier and I'm not even writing cozies. Maybe I missed my calling yet. It sounds like you qualify. 
Angela Sanders, it's been a joy. Thanks for being here. Tell me where we can find you, how you coach writers, how can we work with you and where are your books? Well, I'm happy to tell you, thank you for asking. Okay, so I want to point out my writing name is Angela M. Sanders. There's another writer called Angela Sanders. So okay. I'll just look in that. And so when you're looking for my website, go to AngelaMSanders.com and you'll find all the information about my books and about my coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and small group coaching. I max out at three students per um, coaching group. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Angela.M.Sanders. And I, right from the moment, I've kind of pooped out on Facebook. I'm tired of the politics that people's animals are dying right and left, you know, pray for my beagle Sammy or whatever. And I just I can't take it anymore. So I bailed on Facebook, but I would love to see you on Instagram. I'm on Instagram too. And it's Polly L. Campbell. And you can find me at simplywrite.substack.com where we write more about writing. And I will have Angela M. Sanders links all there. And uh, so you can become part of her groups or work with her or pick up your her books. Now, you you have a new book coming out this year? So I just had a book come out a couple weeks ago called Gone with a Witch as part of the Witch Way Cozy Mystery Series. The next one is, is no, the one that just came out is Witch Upon a Star. Gone with a Witch comes out next March. Okay. And I am working on um, The Witch is Back and I'm living in dire fear of running out of witch titles. <laughs> is this the, what what is it called? The Witch Librarian Series? Is that what you... <laughs> It's the Witch Way Librarian Series because your last name is Way. Okay. It's the, only, it's the only reason the Sleuth's last name is Way, so it could be the Witch Way Librarian. <laughs> it strikes me that that would be fun to write. Do you like writing these books? Yeah. I, initially, I wasn't sure that I wanted to get into witches and, and paranormal cozies just never crossed my mind. But once I got into it, once I started to think about plots, I'm having so much fun. I really am. That's worth it too. The writer's life, right? If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. There's enough hard things. We have to enjoy uh -huh. coming to the work and uh -huh. talking to other authors and being part of this community. So yes. that should be part of your why. Uh -huh. I'm with you. Angela M. Sanders, it's been a delight. Thank you for being here. Good luck with your books and your work and keep us in the loop of what you're up to. Thank you. And remember, writers, Octavia Butler says it this way. First, forget inspiration. Habit is more dependable. Habit will sustain you whether you're inspired or not. Habit will help you finish and polish your stories. Inspiration won't. Habit is persistence in practice. And this week, sit down and simply write. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. 
Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. 